I am a man of many questions. I had a cousin who he had a new girlfriend, and they'd been dating for two months, and nobody knew anything about her. And my family went to PEI for a family gathering, and in 15 minutes, I knew it all, and then everybody's pumping me for questions. So we've been asking questions this month. Like last week it was, why, the, why Mary? Why was she chosen as the one to actually give birth to the Son of God? And today our question is, why shepherds? Like why would God send angels to inform shepherds that his son had just been born? Shepherds, that, 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 they had a lowly blue-collar job. When David was a teenager, back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he was actually sent by his mother to take a care package to his older brothers who were fighting on the front lines. And when he arrived there, he heard Goliath taunting the Israelites, saying, someone come fight me and then you win the battle. But nobody was responding. And, and David he inferred that they should fight Goliath and not be afraid. And then his oldest brother Eliab said, well, what do you know? Why did you come down here? Well, first of all, he forgot his mother's food that had just arrived. And then he said, go back to tending those few sheep in the desert. So Eliab was insinuating that David couldn't do what they were doing and that all he could do was shepherd sheep. Anybody could do that. So why shepherds? Shepherding was a despised occupation in many circles. And it was a very common job in Judea because there were so many sheep that were used in sacrifices. One source I went to said that there would have been a quarter of a million sheep sacrificed every Passover in Jerusalem. So there were a lot of shepherds out on the hillsides raising the sheep to be used in those sacrifices. And then other countries, they didn't look favorably upon shepherding either. Like remember in Genesis, when Joseph moved his brothers and his parents and all their families down to Egypt, and he counseled them. He said, if Pharaoh asks you what you do, tell him that you herd cattle. He, he said, I don't want you to tell him that you are raising sheep because that is detestable to the Egyptians. And shepherding was actually detestable to many farmers in homesteading areas of North America because shepherds eat the grass right down to the roots and they destroy it and then the topsoil starts to erode. So they have a really big mess on their hands and it harms the land so much that shepherds aren't welcome in many agricultural areas. I can only remember one uh, sheep farm when I was growing up on PEI, and it was actually only eight kilometers away from us. And the McKinnon brothers who ran that farm, they weren't spoken highly of within the rest of the community. And even a few years ago, one of their daughters came to a church event in Charlottetown, and people were kind of wondering, why is she here? So it, it, it's incredible the way that people look down upon this profession. So why shepherds? Shepherds are dirty. They live outdoors. They seldom bathe. They rarely change their clothes. They handle sheep. And they smell like shepherds. So why them? 
And I can just imagine that Mary, when they entered the stable and they wanted to hold her newborn baby, she didn't have any hand sanitizer that she could give them to clean up a little bit first. That's what she was dealing with. So why were lowly shepherds chosen to be the first to hear about Jesus' birth? Were they the only ones that Gabriel could find awake that point of the night? And so let's go to them. These guys are already up. And I think God chose to announce the birth of his son to the shepherds to demonstrate inclusiveness because he wanted the good news to be for all people. And when Jesus was born, shepherds came to worship at the stable, and then months later, wise men came to worship as well. So you get the rich and the poor, you you get the Gentile and the Jew, and the professors and the night watchmen, and that shows us that whoever wants to may come to him in faith. So the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. And that's what he brings to our lives today as well. It's not just a temporary feeling of pleasure or a fleeting happiness, but it's a lasting joy, a continuous contentment knowing that our lives count for God. And since that's what most of us really want, let's review this familiar story and discover what transformed those lowly shepherds into these amazing ambassadors of joy. First of all, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, the mundane suddenly became exciting. If you were going to list the most boring job you could think of, what would it be? I actually went to Mr. Google to see what I could find, and Mr. Google said, frozen pea tester. So this is a guy that every pea that comes down the line tests each one to make sure it is just the right temperature. And then there's a pork scratching spotter. So that's the guy, he's on the assembly line, and as that package of ham or meat is about to be sealed, this person looks through just to make sure there are no pig hairs inside the package. And then there's the almond grater. So this person loads the almonds into this little machine so they can be graded according to size. So just doing that day after day. And then this one at first you would think might not be that monotonous, but a Disney World ride attendant because they have to say the exact same thing to every person that gets on that ride. So hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of times they've said that. So the life of shepherds was pretty boring. They spent their days guiding the sheep from one green pasture to another green pasture. It was the same routine. They might occasionally have to chase off a predator, or maybe one of the sheep would get lost, and they would have to go hunt that one down. But it it, it was pretty quiet. The job was pretty boring and routine. They just kept watch over their flocks. People stop to watch monkeys and polar bears at the zoo, but there isn't a sheep exhibit where people are amused. There are bird-watching clubs, but we don't see any sheep-watching clubs. And I've never seen a circus act where sheep are jumping through this fiery hoop or where a ram goes running across the stage and they throw a frisbee and the ram jumps in the air and catches that with his teeth. Sheep are pretty bland animals. And these shepherds were keeping watch at night. And and that was the most monotonous time because the sheep had settled 
The older shepherds were telling the same stories over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with that, actually. We can repeat a few stories. And, and then some were fighting drowsiness, but suddenly there was this electrifying, unforgettable experience. And we pick that up in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. At about 3 a.m. one Sunday morning, not any other day of the week, but Sunday morning, my, and it was around 20 years ago, my wife Pat and I were awakened by this bright light shining into our bedroom. And I got up and I looked out the window, and a police car was parked with his headlights pointed at our window. And then one of them was holding those big searchlights that they have, shining it in our window. So they were obviously trying to wake us up without using their siren or using the doorbell until the guy that they had arrested got out of the back seat and starts running towards our house. So on comes the siren, and then that messes with much of our neighborhood. But this was a guy who had been attending our church, and he got back into an addiction to cocaine, and he lost his house, he lost his wife, he lost his job, his family all deserted him, and then he started stealing from computer stores. So he had been arrested, and the police brought him to my place at 3 o'clock on Sunday morning to give me his keys to his apartment so I could rescue his dog in the morning. Now, my daughter Ainsley loved that because she got to come on that rescue, and then I had to deal with all of his belongings as well. So it was hard to go back to sleep after that. And there's one of the stories that's going to go in my book. At some point, I'm going to write a book about ministry. So I can't imagine how startled these shepherds must have been when the sky was just all aglow with angels. Their hearts would be pounding. Their knees would be trembling. Their jaws would just drop. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So that night began so routine, and then it ended up being the most thrilling thing that ever happened to them. And when Christ comes into our lives, he can bring excitement into the mundane, because most of life seems pretty routine. We go through the same things each day, and we'll hear our kids say things like, I'm bored. My youngest daughter, Ainsley, she would not sleep in the car. The other kids, if they wouldn't sleep at night, you just get in the car, put them in the seat, and in five minutes they're asleep, but not Ainsley. And I took her with me to a church event on PEI. She hung out with her grandparents while I was at the conference. And on the way back home, it's 10 o'clock at night, and she's back there wide awake. The eyes are open. We got to the airport, and then this is what she said. I'm bored looking at you. <laughs> what a thing for a child to say to her wonderful, loving father. But that's just the way it is. We Kids get bored. We get bored. We go through the same thing every day. 
But Jesus Christ, he brings occasional spiritual acceleration to our mundane lives. It begins with when we're baptized and we understand that we have the forgiveness of sins. It is thrilling and exciting to experience the dramatic answer to a prayer and we hear someone say the cancer is gone. It's thrilling when you hear a message that seems to be directed just at you. And it's exciting when you invite someone to church and then they end up surrendering their lives to Christ and going through a a tremendous transformation. And then it's exciting when our children come to know the Lord and then when they grow up and marry someone that's a believer as well. Plus, there are other exciting events that happen in the church over the course of time. I'm keeping a list of them. These are apex Sundays or whatever we want to call them. And... uh, But most worship services are more routine, but like meals, they feed you. And in my home, we are fed really well by those meals every day. But once in a while, something special happens that causes a big stirring. And those experiences enhance our spiritual heritage and our joy. And when Christ brought excitement and joy into the shepherd's mundane existence... It was amazing to them, and he still has a way of doing that today. And then when the angel appeared to him, and he said, I, the supernatural, became believable. So as these shepherds sat under the stars, they were probably making small talk about the economy. Maybe they were talking about their families a little bit. They might have talked about the weather. They might have talked about the World Cup, which I discovered a lot of our people are right now at home watching the World Cup. But, and, but I'm sure these shepherds discussed spiritual things as well. And they might have stared up at the stars and said, you know, I wonder if we're here by accident or if this had been planned by some intelligent designer. Or maybe they would say things like, look at those poor sheep. They don't realize that they are going to the slaughter for these sacrifices. You know, have you ever wondered about whether those sacrifices really do anything, or are they just a religious ritual? And then maybe they said, well, I heard rumors about this elderly couple that miraculously had a child. They live up on the hills somewhere. And the old guy even said that an angel appeared to him in the temple. Like, do you believe that? And then those angels suddenly appeared in the sky, and and that was a visible demonstration that ended all that speculation. No one who saw that sight would ever question that there was a spiritual world. They saw those angels with their own eyes. They realized that the supernatural was real. And Luke begins his story actually by telling the story of the birth of John the Baptist. And the angel Gabriel appeared to the priest Zechariah when he was burning incense in the temple. And Zechariah was filled with fear, as everybody was when they saw an angel. And the angel, first of all, said, Don't be afraid. I've come to inform you that you and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a baby. And that baby is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And you are to name him John. And then in his nervousness, Zechariah asked the question, a rather silly question of the angel. And he said, how can I be sure of this? 
I am an old man and my wife is beyond childbearing years. And here he was in the presence of God's number one angel, his most prominent angel, Gabriel. And he's asking, how do I know this is true? Now, we usually read the angel's response just kind of matter-of-factly. It's Luke 1.19. We'll read it. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. But I think it should be more like this. Are you kidding me? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God, and you ask for a sign? I have been sent to speak to you and give you the good news. I am that sign. Am I invisible here? What more do you need to believe, Zechariah? And because you didn't believe my words, from this moment until that baby's born, you aren't going to be able to speak. How's that for a sign? I'm sure if I was the angel, I would have felt more like saying it that way. But give the shepherds credit. They didn't ask for more evidence like Zechariah. They saw the angels and they believed. And picking up in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So when Christ came, He made believing in the supernatural easy, and that was true for the shepherds, but it's also true for anyone that witnessed the miraculous ministry of Jesus. In Hebrews, the writer said, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Christianity requires faith in Miracles, creation, incarnation, virgin birth, angels, extraordinary stars, blood atonement, bodily resurrection. And until the shepherds, unlike the shepherds, we've not seen a choir of angels. But if we allow the Christ child to be born in our hearts, somehow believing in the supernatural is easier. We've often heard seeing is believing, but there's a sense in which it's just the opposite, in which believing is seeing. Because remember what Jesus said to Thomas in John 20? He said, because you have seen, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Chronicles of Narnia is a series of children's fantasy books which symbolizes God's relationship with humanity. And Christians will go to watch the movie based on those books, and they see the symbolism in it. They see that Narnia represents the spirit world. They see that the wicked witch represents Satan. Young Lucy, she is the faithful Christian. Her brother Edmund is the wayward Christian. The river into the kingdom is baptism. And then... The lion Aslan, he represents Jesus, and he dies to spare the wayward Christian. And the one who doesn't know Christ doesn't understand that symbolism at all. They can go watch that movie and think, wow, that's pretty amazing. The effects are wonderful, the performance, but they're puzzled by the meaning. The Apostle Paul said that spiritual things have to be spiritually discerned. So if Christ is in your heart, 
You look at a newborn baby and, and you don't think this is a fluke of nature. You see a miracle of God. You look at an unexpected healing and you look at this as more than just a coincidence of medicine. You see answered prayer. And a believer looks at a dramatically transformed life and sees more than someone who has just turned over a new leaf. But this is someone that the Holy Spirit is working in. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And what a miracle. But we're dumbfounded that others don't see the intervention of God. They struggle with belief in the supernatural. And we want to say with Gabriel, what more proof do you need here? Christ brought joy to the shepherds that first Christmas because he made the mundane exciting. And now we also notice that he made the supernatural believable. But most importantly, he made the insignificant significant. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. But what a boost it must have been to the self-worth of these shepherds when they fully realized that they had been chosen by God to be the first ones to see the Messiah. Maybe they weren't significant to the world, but God had chosen them to receive the news of the Savior's birth, and that gave them a special identity in God's kingdom. And remember the line in the Christmas carol that says, uh, on that holy night the soul felt its worth? Well, that's what happened with these shepherds. They felt that worth in their souls. But our world will tell you that you can have a very high sense of self-esteem just on your own because you're important. You're a unique individual. You can do anything you want to do. But the truth is, you are just one of 8 billion people that are alive on this planet. And remember last week I showed our planet. It's just a, a tiny blue dot in comparison to the rest of just our, our own universe that we live in. And so we are wondering, you know, why, why do we need more proof in all of this? And when you die, it might be 80, 85 years of age, it might be longer, it might be less than that, but your body then returns to the dust of the ground. And today, there may not even be a funeral service. It might be just a, a celebration of life, and people who love you will gather together and will say nice things about you, but they'll go home, they'll eat, and they'll just go on with their lives. And maybe forget about you altogether, and that's the truth. And 100 years from now, chances are that your name will never be spoken on the face of the earth unless you have a book written by, like I do by Greg Nicholson, it will still be out there. But the Bible says we're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So that's depressing. But only when Christ comes to you, only when you realize your divine calling, do you have genuine significance. The first Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ, and you have an eternal significance. 
not by yourself, but because you belong to the creator of this universe. The shepherds were chosen by God, not only to see the Christ child, but to actually share the message with others. So now we're in verse 17. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So everywhere they went, they were just bubbling over with this story. The angels had appeared to them. A savior had been born. They'd seen him. And everyone who heard it was amazed. People listened to them. They might have been lowly shepherds, but now they're eyewitnesses to a miracle. And these guys probably weren't well-educated. They might not have been very articulate, but everywhere they went, tell us that story again. Tell us about the angels coming to visit you. Tell us about the baby and being there in the stable that night. Those shepherds had been given something special, and that gave them instant credibility. And their testimony was believable. And the Lord has given us a critical assignment as well. And it's in Mark chapter 15, actually 16, verses 15 to 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's the most important job in the world. That God and his kingdom need you. The hurting need you. The sick need you. The lost need you. They need you to share the message of salvation and hope through Jesus Christ. The eternal destiny of others depends upon your faithfulness to that assignment. Now we all know that the world is attempting to suppress that message even to the point of eliminating Christmas celebrations altogether. You're not allowed to sing Christmas carols in school. You're not allowed to put nativity scenes in public property. You're not allowed to even call it a Christmas concert anymore, but it's a holiday concert. And then there's my granddaughter, Jane. We went to her event, and there was something else. Midwinter extravaganza or something like that is what they called it. And then employers tell their employees, don't say Merry Christmas to people. Say Happy Holidays. So how Jesus commanded us to go into all the world with the good news. And that assignment gives you significance. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they were told not to speak in public about this Jesus character anymore. But they said, we can't do that. We can't stop speaking about him. We have to obey God rather than man, and we have to talk about what we have seen and what we have heard. So how do you respond when somebody says, happy holidays, do you? Do you just kind of mutter, oh, happy holidays back? Or do you, do you speak up angrily and say, holiday means holy day. And what makes it holy? Jesus' birth, you numbskull. Now that approach isn't going to influence anybody. We are to respond in love. If someone says happy holidays, you say thank you very much and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. We uh, maybe, we just don't want to keep giving ground so as to not offend but be bold and say, as my family and I celebrate the birth of Christ, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. In Mark 8.38, Jesus said, 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So how can we be ashamed of him when he humbled himself and became one of us and and died as one of us and then unashamedly he welcomes us and adopts us into his family? So in verse 20, Luke 2, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So their circumstances hadn't changed. They weren't wealthier. They weren't given any new positions. They still tended those same boring sheep, but they had this feeling of significance. And because they had a savior, they had hope for eternity. So when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have become eternally significant. You're not just a speck of dust that will fade into nothingness. You are a living soul that will spend eternity with God. And Paul wrote in Romans 8, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Max Locato has written uh, dozens of books and one of them is The Cure for the Common Life. And in there he talks about a time when the bank sent him an overdraft notice and it was on the checking account of one of his daughters. And he said he always spoke to his daughters to make sure that you keep an eye on the balance in your account so that you aren't overdrawn. So then he goes, what should I do? Should I let the bank just absorb this money? And he said, well, no, they they won't do that. Should I send an angry letter to my daughter? Admonition might help later, but it won't satisfy the bank. Then he said, I'll phone her and I'll tell her to make a deposit. But that's not going to happen because I know she has zero money. And, but then he said, transfer the money from my account to hers? That seemed to be the best option. After all, I had the $25.37 and I had the extra money to pay the overdraft charges. So I went ahead and did that. And I did it because it's my job. And then he says, don't get any ideas. If you're overdrawn, don't call me. But my daughter can do something you can't do. She can call me dad. And since she calls me dad, I do what dads do. And I covered over my daughter's mistake. Lucado wrote, when I told her she was overdrawn, she said she was sorry, but there was still no offer to give the money to cover it because she was broke. She only had one option. And then she said, Dad, could you? And uh, I interrupted her sentence, and I said, Honey, I already have. I met her need before she even knew that she had a need. And long before you knew you needed grace, your father did the same. He made the deposit. In Romans 5, 8, Christ died for our sins while we were still sinners. So before you knew you needed a Savior, you had one. And when you ask him for mercy, he answers, I've already given it to you, my child. And when Christ comes, he brings good tidings of great joy 
Because he makes the mundane exciting. He makes the supernatural believable. And he gives significance to those who are insignificant. And it's eternal significance. Why shepherds? God demonstrated that the gospel is for all. But maybe there's another reason. Because later on, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And he said the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then he also said, my sheep know my voice and follow me. So if you hear his call and want to follow him today, I invite you to discover the wonderful joy that comes from having Jesus in your heart. Make that decision.